join me in prayer this morning. I know you've been patient here um, from the comfort of your own home. We're going to believe the Lord. And so, Father, I thank you this morning that you are God and that you will be glorified in your people. We pray, Lord, that as we just settle in right now, Lord, we thank you for uh, the no longer any connection issues, Lord. We have an opportunity here to just hear the word of God together, respond to the things that you're speaking to us, and join our faith together for believing, Lord God, that your will will be accomplished in our lives, Lord, in this season, that you would give us the wisdom to navigate through, Lord, these times, and that we would flourish in the midst of what appears to be dry seasons, Lord, like a, like a tree that is planted by water brooks who bears forth fruit in season, whose leaf never withers, Lord, that we would be a fruitful and abounding people, Lord, through this season. God, I pray supernaturally you make provision, Lord, for us to be able to thrive in the midst of everything going on. Lord, we thank you, Father, for wisdom and favor. And we thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts today. I pray a blessing, especially on each person that's tuned in this morning live, Lord, and those who will listen on later. God, that you would bless them. God, that you would touch them, that you would strengthen them, that you'd encourage them, and that you'd lead them to your heart, Father. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Lord, we just thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher and he will lead us into all truth. Take the things of Christ and reveal them to us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said together with me, amen. Amen. If you'd open up your Bibles with me this morning, we are going to be sharing a message called Living in Prophetic Times. Of course, we right now are living in prophetic times. We are in the midst of, um, I believe, things that are unfolding that have been foretold. And God is fully aware of everything that we're walking through individually and corporately. It's interesting. I mean, this is definitely unprecedented for us to be involved in something that is absolutely worldwide. Um, but we're, uh, we're moving through it. We're believing God in it. And in the midst of everything that's going on, in the midst of living in prophetic times, I believe that God is calling us. And this message won't be too far away from the past several weeks in terms of uh, its mission and his purpose to communicate this, God is calling us into a quiet place with him. He's calling us into a place where we can just quiet down our hearts, get alone, hear his voice, get into his word, and just reinvigorate that relationship with the Lord or start that journey with the Lord as he's inviting us in at this time. So if you'd open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24, let's dive right in together. We're going to read from verse 1. We're going to cover some scriptures today. And um, encourage your heart. I believe that the Lord has a word. And, you know, again, I appreciate your patience, but I know that God's got something for us today. So God will honor your time. Amen. So reading Matthew chapter 24, reading from verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. So Jesus' disciples are are with Jesus, and, and they go to the temple and all these structures that they're looking at. And they're so impressed with what's here, and they look. And, and uh, they're like, Jesus, look at everything that's going on in the structures. And Jesus responds in verse 2 and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, the disciples are all excited about these buildings. And Jesus says, listen, these buildings will not last. Of course, we know that in 70 AD, the, the, the temple was completely destroyed. And not one stone was left upon another in fulfillment of what Jesus spoke. Now, that probably wasn't the words the disciples wanted to hear at that time when structural changes take place. What we were used to, accustomed to, in a physical building, when that is removed, what does it really look like to be the church? I believe Jesus was preparing his disciples to be a church without walls. 
they were so intrigued by the walls and the structure, and God was more concerned and revealing this through his son Jesus in a people. God is interested in a people. As we shared last week, God is interested in our being, the outflow of who we are, not so much in just what we're doing. And God is interested now more than anything in our heart, that our heart would be right before him, that we would receive that invitation into his presence. Verse 3 says this, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when all these things will be. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Interesting response to an inquiry concerning last time, end time things. And Jesus says, Be careful that you're not deceived. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences. We shared that word pestilence. It deals with word worldwide pandemic. It deals with uh, plagues that come in, uh, similar to what we're seeing in our world right now. These will be signs of the end time. Pestilences, earthquakes in various places. We've seen that even in our own nation just in the past few weeks. Uh, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 8, verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He's speaking to his disciples. Of course, we know the persecution of the first century church, but he's speaking of things that shall come at the end. Persecution. Not things that we like to hear, but God's preparing us for something greater than these things. And verse 10 says, and many will be offended. They'll betray one another and they'll hate one another. So while these aren't really times that I want to live in, well, this is what the end times will be. And it's really important that we, again, learn to be prepared in the times where God is calling us in so that we don't get caught off guard by all these things that are going to be around us. And then verse 11 Many false prophets will rise up and they'll deceive many. Deceive many. Rise in false prophets. Those who call themselves true and yet inwardly and secretly, they're actually wolves. They come in sheep's clothing, but they have an agenda. And this is reality within the religious community, the world we live in right now. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold because of lawlessness. That People will live outside the law. People will want to do their own thing. They'll operate according to principles that have been directed to them by those who weren't of the truth. But verse 13 says this, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And then verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. I want to focus in this morning on verse 13 of Matthew chapter 24. And in light of all the things that we shared several weeks ago in the secret place, the invitation that I've been uh, putting out there that I've been hearing from the Lord very clearly is that he wants us to get into that place alone with him. We want it, he wants us to be able to hear his voice, to discern his will, to know his ways, that we're not caught off guard by all the voices that are in the world right now. I mean, there's, there's so many voices just crying out, shouting out for attention, to grab your attention, to to move and direct your affection. And God wants us to get into the secret and the quiet place so that we can actually hear the voice of God. That's an invitation by God himself. Verse 13 says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, I often 
uh, share this, and I, if you're taking notes, and I pray that you are, or if you're comfortable writing in your Bible, some people are, some people aren't. I use a pencil, so um, I, I have no problem with writing in my Bible. I don't particularly like writing pen in my Bible, I will say that. Um, but verse 13, that word endures. If you could circle that word endures, and I want to just focus on this word just for a few minutes here this morning. And, uh, and, and we're going to just go through some scriptures and show you that this deals with the issue of what's going on in our world right now. In fact, it's a preparation word for what shall come, what the end will look like. This is all preparation territory. I, again, as I've shared before, this is, this is a test, a test that has literally shaped the, the landscape of our world. We are in the midst of uh, unprecedented times in, this, in the fact that I don't know that the world's ever going to look the same it has looked before. As we come out of this thing, regulations have going to be changing. There's going to be uh, new introduction to ideas and thoughts and, and things that are going to be needed to be done, protocol that's going to have to be followed. And, and yet in the midst of all this, we need to be careful that we don't lose the sense of who we are as God's people and lose the ability to hear his voice. We need to actually nurture and care for the ability to hear what God is speaking. That word endures in the, in the Greek. Of course, the Greek is the, the language which the New Testament was originally written in. And it's always important to go back to, to the original to, uh, to get a real good grasp on what's going on. That, that word in the original language in the Greek is the word hupomeno. It's a, a, a word combined... Uh, with two words combined to make one word. And the first part of that is hupo, H-U-P-O, and the second part of that word, M-E-N-O, hupomeno, making one word, hupomeno, which often translated endures, or to remain, to be steadfast. And it's important that we uh, really grasp this at this time, the necessity of maintaining our position so that we're not moved by various occasions that are taking place around us, whether it be earthquakes or famine or pestilence, disease, pandemic, or moved by voices other than the voice of God, though they come as those who are, quote-unquote, ministers, apostles, prophets, declaring themselves to be messengers from God, but themselves are not from God, though they've painted that picture. How do we stand in the midst of all these things. And ultimately, how do we get to verse 14? As we endure, that we see the gospel of the kingdom proclaimed all over the world, in fact, to the ends of the earth, till the point that the end comes. That God has called us to be messengers of, with a message and to be able to carry the purpose of God to the ends of the world and to the ends of the age. God is at work now in our lives, and he's calling us into the secret place. Now is preparation territory. Okay? It's preparation territory. There's going to be time for a whole lot of work. We're getting to move into a season of a whole lot of work. I believe in my heart of hearts right now, God is calling his people into the secret place so that we can properly discern the voice of God, that we can reinvigorate that passion for Christ's name alone, that we don't need the approval, the applause, or the pats on the backs in order to maintain our position. That word hupomeno is a combination of two Greek words. The first word, hupo. Hupo deals with a position of being by or under. In fact, the, the word uh, that we could use is the word under. It's dealing with the issue of being under. And then the word meno is dealing with abiding or dwelling. To abide or to dwell under is the word that is translated here for endure. The endurance is going to actually come through a place of intimacy with God. Endurance is actually going to be the outflow of our relationship with Christ, that we can know how to navigate through unprecedented times and the end times 
and we can hear the word of the prophetic so that we can walk through prophetic times untainted by all the situations going on around us. I believe that God right now is in the process of preparing his people and at the same time beckoning and calling others in who have never up to this point heard his voice. Right now, he's crying out to you. If you're with me, can you say amen? Amen? Hupameno. The word often translated endure or to take patiently, to abide, to be patient, to remain. Uh, In fact, the word could be translated to remain or stay, as it were, behind while others go away. To remain or stay behind as others go away. The word for endurance here is, in other words, that you can maintain even when everybody else has left. When lawlessness abounds, it says the love of many or the love of most will actually grow cold. How many people know that God's not interested in cold love? Cold love, there's nothing appealing about cold love. God wants us to be a people who are fervent. Amen. He wants there to be a fire that's burning on inside of us, a fire with passion. When it speaks of Jesus in Revelation, it says that his eyes are like a burning fire. There's a passionate aspect of Christ. He desires us and he wants us to be able to desire him. Amen. I want to keep your finger there in Matthew 24. And if you could turn ahead a little further into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to read another portion of scripture with you. Amen. We're moving somewhere today, and we're going to move there, and we're going to believe the Lord together. Amen? So even as you are waiting patiently as we got things up this morning, um, the word is endurance this morning. The word is patience. The word is abiding. The word is not being moved when everything else around you is moving, when you're dealing with uncertainty, when things aren't going the way you had anticipated, when things aren't going well. You know what? It's a great time to deal with this. We haven't dealt with this in seven weeks, but seven weeks we're going to deal with the issue of holding and maintaining your position when things aren't going the way that you anticipated. We're in the middle of it right now in a technological way. But God is going to be in control in the midst of it all because he's got something to deliver. I have confidence in the fact that God gave me a word this morning. So I knew one way or the other we were going to do this, whether we pre-recorded and showed it later tonight or we got on. God is going to get his word out. Amen. So if you're with me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let's read together from verse 1. And in the midst of this, the apostle Paul is dealing with false apostles. In Matthew 24, Jesus mentions false teachers and false prophets. uh, Paul here in in 2 Corinthians 11 is going to deal with the issue of false apostles. And and Paul is going to defend his position, though he's not like these quote-unquote false apostles that have put themselves in the same uh, category as the super apostles or the apostles of the faith, they, they want to be the trendsetters. They want to be the voices in their generation. They are literally setting themselves in the place where they're the ones who are going to be heard. It's interesting in the world that we live in right now that you can put yourself in a position where you become a voice. But let me, let me just tell you this, this morning, it's the Lord who anoints. It's the Lord who gives a person a voice. People don't make their own voice. The voice that matters is the voice that comes from God, the one that is directed by God and who receives the words of God. This was Jesus. He had to deal with the power play of voices in his generation. And as he had left behind the message of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, the apostle Paul had to deal with the same thing, competing for a voice in a world that wanted a voice, but there's only one voice that really can speak, and it's the voice of God. And let me just tell you, when the voice of God speaks, things happen. Amen? Things move. And so if we can operate in a prophetic voice, living in prophetic times and have a prophetic voice, the words that we speak will have incredible power. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1 of 11, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. And he says this, For I am jealous for you 
with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. This was his ultimate desire. Listen, everybody's looking to to build up your ego and your flesh, tell you that you can handle everything that's going your way. And the Apostle Paul's saying, listen, in the midst of everything that's going on, and he he defended his position, listen, I might be fell behind these quote-unquote super apostles when it came to the excellency of speech. I might not be the greatest speaker in the world, but I carry a weight of glory that comes from God, and the words that I speak to you come with the authority of heaven. They might not have the same flavor, the same appeal, the same appeasement of your senses as all those who are themselves making up a voice, but I come with you with a message because my ultimate desire is not that you be impressed by me, but that you be brought and drawn to Christ. The ultimate message of the gospel is that we would not be drawn to any person but the person of Jesus Christ. He said, in fact, that, that I have a jealous for you, and it wasn't an evil jealousy. It was a yearning earnestly or desiring greatly for the best for these individuals that they would be presented to Christ as a virgin who would be able to be married to the great bridegroom, Christ. Paul in his other letters had written to the Ephesians, said that there was a great mystery concerning the marriage relationship between a husband and wife. It was actually a picture of Christ and his church. And here to the Corinthians, he says, listen, this is, God, this is my desire for you, that you would be presented to Christ as a chaste virgin. And then in verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity. The word simplicity is dealing with the issue of a single vision, a, a utter and complete sincerity, a desire that this would be our one great holy ambition. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul said that this is my greatest desire that I might know him. And then in verse 9 of 3 Philippians, and be found in him, in him, not having my own righteousness, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. That ultimately my life would find its purpose. It would be fulfilled, satisfied, and presented right, pure, as it were, as a chaste virgin before God because of my relationship with Christ. God's calling us now into the secret place. Amen. In him. If you could write that word him down, I want to just share briefly a, a little acronym that will, will help you to remember how important and, and the way in which to get into this relationship with him. First is this. The only way we can approach God is in humility. The H is humility. In a, in a few minutes, we're going to jump to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in chapter 4. and He's dealing with a nation who had become very proud. He actually uses the word haughty, that their eyes had been lifted up. They were throwing their shoulders back. Their necks were lifted up. Their eyes were lifted up. They, were, they had become so arrogant and haughty that they weren't concerned about other people. They were taking advantage of the poor. And, uh, and God was delivering a message to them that they were on a very slippery slope. They were, they were dealing with a means of ultimately being destroyed completely. And he was calling them to humble themselves before him. Any way to come to God is through humility. That's why repentance is a necessary component of salvation. 
You need to come to God. Repentance is a changing in the way you think and a humbling yourself in the process of turning away from everything that you think about yourself and realizing that you are in desperate need of a Savior, that you can't save yourself, you have no righteousness in yourself, that your voice isn't the most important voice. You need to humble yourself in the presence of God. In fact, it says God, he honors, he lifts up, and he exalts the humble, but he resists the proud. Humility is necessary. The second thing I, I see as we're going to look through these scriptures is that God actually desires an intimate relationship, and so that I is intimacy. That God doesn't want us just to know him in religious service, know him kind of like as a, a being somewhere out there, that he wants us to be drawn to him. In fact, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians here that his desire ultimately that we would be presented to him in a marriage type of covenant, a marriage, that we'd be married to Christ as a chaste virgin, that we'd be presented to him one that's pure, whose simplicity or singleness of focus is Christ himself. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding where, where the couple was genuinely in love and you just saw the way they looked into each other's eyes, you knew that no one else mattered at that moment. They were the only ones, eyes for each other. And I believe that God wants us to maintain that position of intimacy throughout our walk here on the earth. He wants us to be able to endure all the way until the end. And the endurance is going to be found in the place of abiding. And that abiding has to be a place of true intimacy with God, that God wants us to be able to know what he's like, to be able to discern his voice, and be able to do everything that we do for the purpose of giving him and glory and honor. Intimacy. And finally, that idea of, of being in him, uh, we need to maintain that even as we get into an intimate relationship with God, as we are drawn to him in this like incredible relationship. Now, intimacy with God is an incredible thing, but we need to be careful that we never kind of step over the line of, of dealing with God on the level of a natural relationship. And so in that, the M, I think, is really important. We always need to maintain the fact of his majesty, his majesty. We need to maintain awe and reverence towards God. We've got to approach him with humility. We have to be drawn to him and maintain a place of intimacy. But we always have to be aware of his majesty, that he is a power so far greater than anything that we've ever even conceived of. And we need to humbly approach God because of the fact that he alone is God. And so as I, I speak to you this morning, as we're living out in prophetic times, I think it's really important that we understand something that the God of all the universe, the God whose majesty is evident in everything that he created, whose glory fills the whole heaven and earth, is actually drawing us and beckoning us and calling us into an intimate relationship with him. It's an absolutely incredible thing. Paul said, listen, every other pursuit in my life has become nothing but garbage and refuse in comparison to this exceedingly great pursuit to know him more intimately. This is my one driving passion and desire. David echoed the same thing. This is my one desire to be where God is. And so when you really get a glimpse of what God is like, when you can really see the invitation that's been presented to us, you want to go after God with everything that you got. Amen? You with me this morning? Amen? And so I want to bring you back uh, to Matthew 24 here for a moment. And that verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. If you'd like to join with us on, on Wednesday nights, we're doing a, a private Zoom Bible study. We've been going through Psalm 91. It deals with the issue of abiding in God, an intimate relationship with God, a hiding place in God. It's such an incredible psalm. And people have been encouraged. Of course, we're, we're going through it and, and just using it as, as, a, as a launching pad to go throughout the Scriptures to see that this is the invitation of God. In fact, that word 
for endures right here in, in verse 13 of Matthew 24. You could literally take the whole Psalm 91 and throw it right into that one word, I believe. You could put Psalm 91 right there and say, listen, that if you can develop and maintain a position of abiding with God and intimacy under his wings, that no matter what goes on in the world, it says a thousand can fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near your dwelling because you made the Lord the most high your dwelling place. He's going to hide you under it were as his feathers. He's going to hide you under his wings. He's going to protect you and keep you and hold on to you so that when you think you're the one who's trying to hold on, you're going to find something out that God is the one that's holding you and his grip is sure. He's not going to let you go. And so in that idea of endurance, our endurance is going to come in our maintenance of position an intimate relationship with God. When we just can get quiet enough to be in the presence of God, we realize that all our righteousness itself comes from him. Everything flows from our relationship with him. It's not about us trying harder. It's about understanding a great gift that's been given to us, which is grace. It's a gift of divine enablement that comes directly from God unearned and can never be repaid, just lived out. Amen. Hupameno. To remain or stay behind while others go away. We live in an age right now where relationships break up really pretty easily. We have been touched with it many, with the breakdown of the nuclear family and the devastation that causes within the home. But when you see a solid maintenance, more than maintenance, a solid intimate relationship that actually grows and, and flourishes with time, you can see a stability and a structure that will literally lay a foundation for everything else that takes place in the life of, of a person and a child. God wants to reveal to us that he wants us to learn how to maintain our position. He wants us to learn that he's not going away, that he will never leave, he will never forsake, that he's not going to ever break his end of the bargain, that his covenantal relationships are sure that God is a God of covenant and he never breaks his covenant that he wants to assure us that we don't ever have to walk away because if we could find that place where we hear his voice, we could know he's going to never let us go. Amen? So as we look at the word this morning, I, I wanted to show you something. That word hupo, which is the first part of this compound word, hupomeno, the word hupo, it means by or under. Of, of place, dealing with place, it means under or beneath. It expresses the motion towards or under, a motion towards or under, that God wants us to understand something. He wants us to move towards him so that we can be under him. He wants us to move towards him so that we can be under him, that he's the one who reigns over us, and he's the one who raises up over us a protective, a covering, so that none could touch us. In relation to place, it's to be under or beneath in Psalm 91, we see that, that there's a place that he invites us under his wings. Dealing with a cause or an agency, it means by or through. By or through. The cause is by or through. We're going to find out that, that our strength actually comes by or through him. As we get into that place of quietness, as we get into that intimate relationship with God, as we humble ourselves in his presence and recognize the fact that we have great need and express the fact that, God, I'm willing to humble myself and to confess I am a man, I'm a woman, I'm a person in need of a Savior. As I, I humble myself in the presence of God, he actually invites me in to a relationship that was greater than anything I could have ever even anticipated. And in that place, he'll unfold 
great aspects of his character that will constantly keep us in that place of majesty. Majesty. Worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be everything. Glory, power, and praise. Majesty, kingdom, authority. It flows from his throne unto his own. His anthem reigns, right? In that place of endurance in verse 13, it moves us to the place of 14 where this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached everywhere. Kingdom authority flows from his throne unto his own that his anthem is going to reign, that the glory of God's kingdom is going to be advanced through those who understand the position and the place of hiding in the shadow of God's wings. Jack Hayford wrote that great song, Majesty, with an understanding of kingdom authority. Jack Hayford, of course, um, such a great Bible teacher and expositor of the scriptures. Hupo, under, place, where it deals with cause or, or the agent of that strength. It comes by or through him. In fact, uh, I, as I was looking at this word in, in, uh, in the Greek word studies, in pregnant phrases, it deals with the immediate acts of an agent expressing subjection or dependence. In fact, the word is used, hupo, and deals with pregnant phrases. Now, this really, this really hit me because those who know us, my wife and I have uh, gone through many seasons here of dealing with infertility. And yet, we maintain the position that God has spoken, and even though we're in our 40s, we're believing God for miraculous childbirth through her womb. We thank God for the power of redemption and adoption. It's an incredible gift, something that has just um, blessed us so incredibly. But we never lose sight of the fact that God is a miracle-working God. And he's the agent of all action, which brings us to the place of humility because our subjection and dependence leads to his intervention. When you humble yourself in the presence of God and you recognize your own inability to do anything, God meets you in that place. And so when I saw this word by or under, and yet at the same time is dealing with a position of being under, but also the avenue of expression by or through, I see that there's a power that's at work to be able to maintain, even when everything in the world is going crazy, that God is the one who empowers us in the secret place. He's calling us there this morning. The word meno. Uh, it means to abide, to remain, in reference to a place. It's a place of waiting, awaiting one. In fact, in, in John 14, and verse, uh, verse 10, the second portion of that verse, Jesus said, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he's the one who does the works. That word dwells, the word meno. Jesus said, this is how I do what I do, because the Father dwells or minnows with me. The, the Father's the one who dwells or abides, lives, remains in me. And therefore, the works that I do are because of this. In other words, Jesus knew the secret of endurance, that he could endure the hostility of sinners, that he could endure all the pain that was directed towards him and hanging him on a cross, that Christ could set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, enduring the 
despising and the, the shame of the cross and enduring the pain and the accusation against him so that he could bring many sons into glory. He knew the secret of the quiet place and the secret place. And he actually gives us some instructions here, kind of hidden in the original language. The endurance that we can walk out is actually rooted in our relationship with him. Anybody blessed this morning? Listen, when you're with God and in God, there ain't nothing that can move you. And there's nothing that's too impossible. There's no situation that God won't bring you through. There's no disaster that God won't hold you in the midst of, that you are safe in the hands of God. When you entrust your life to him, he's beckoning, he's calling you, he's inviting you, he's calling you into a deep and an intimate relationship, a relationship that the apostle Paul said is like a married covenant. He says, I'm jealous for you. In other words, listen, I don't want you to be on the outside. I want you to be on the inside. I don't want you to be looking from afar. I want you to be underneath his wings. I want you to be right there in the safe place. Amen this morning. That word hoopo uh, sounds a lot like it. We, we mentioned this word in Bible study Wednesday night, and Billy and Brenda, I'm so glad you're a, a part of this body and, and tuning in with us this morning. You're a great blessing to us and have maintained that position of what a marriage covenant really looks like through sickness and health, through riches and poverty, through good times and bad. We said we do, we will, and we will maintain, we will endure We will not give up. We'll not throw in the towel. We won't break down because God is the one who sustains us. And and I remember sharing with you Wednesday night, I said, what does that word hupo sound like to you? And we could see in in the Hebrew a word that sounds similar to it, a word that has same connotations with it. The idea of being under is the word hupa. H-U-P-P-A or in the Hebrew, it's actually a C in front of it, pronounced kupa, kupa. And the kupa is a canopy. It's a covering. It's a tent, as it were. Anyone who's familiar with Jewish weddings know that you'll never go to a Jewish wedding without a kupa or hupa. The married couple, as they're exchanging their vows, as they're making covenant one with another, they do so as they're abiding under this dwelling. Uh, This dwelling, in fact, is a canopy that's suspended by its four corners with four open sides. This word being under is very, very clear. You can see this picture painted so vividly in the wedding ceremony of those who are who are Jewish or or have a messianic uh, Jewish background or those who just understand the symbolism and can celebrate it. In fact, the more I, I see the symbolism is the more I appreciate it and uh, just think it's such a beautiful picture of what God does for us as he brings us into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. A canopy suspended by four corners with four open sides is suspended in the four corners by four poles. We could probably call those things pillars and for a word for another day. Pillars that maintain this position of holding up this canopy which for this couple in this ceremony provides a covering, a roof that has four sides, symbolizing a first dwelling place together. As it were, before they start a home together, 
they are establishing a home right here, saying, may God be the one who dwells over us. May he be the one that keeps us together. May he be the one that grants us, as it were, endurance. Amen this morning? Tradition says that it's representative of the tent of Abraham and Sarah, which I thought was interesting when I looked at in pregnant phrases, the word hupo deals of the immediate acts of an agent expressing subjection or dependence, the immediate acts of an agent in pregnant phrases. And so in this picture, the Jews believe that this is actually a, a picture. It's a representation of the tent of Abraham and Sarah, which they said had no sides. Thus, there's no size upon a hoopah or, or a kupah. There's no sides. A church without walls, no boundaries, no, no one that, that is kept out that is willing to come in. It's a place of hospitality, as it were, a place of invitation, a place of abundance, because the sides that are lifted up prove the fact that God can do something that you don't have to worry about trying to contain it because the blessings of God are beyond anything that you can contain without walls. It's time for God's people to walk out this reality that God wants us to be a people who walk in abundance, who walk in the blessing and the favor of Almighty God. Is anybody with me this morning? You can say amen right there at the screen. You can say, let God, let it be so. I want you to catch this. It's interesting because as more I study this, I realize we've made these things very elaborate. And I want you to hear me this morning. We've made these things very elaborate and we've substituted, I think, the substance for something that looks pretty. And you can see in some of these Jewish traditions and some of these weddings, the thing has become so elaborate and it's lost its sense and meaning and representation. The real meaning is not just to have some covering. It's actually to be a tallit. It's to be a prayer shawl, the extension of that thing that will actually cover and hold and bind and give endurance to that couple is actually the secret place. It's the secret place. This is the thing held up by its four corners. The four corners, as we shared in Hebrew before, is the word kanaf. It's the same word for wings. It's the wings of God extended over a couple. He's the one who's going to hold you together. Amen? He's going to be the one. He's going to be the one. It's going to be his protection. It's going to be his provision. It's going to be the secret place. And in our traditions, we've made everything so much about show. But it's not. As Jesus spoke to his disciples, they're looking at the temple, say, look at the marvel of all these things. Look at the beauty of these structures. And Jesus is like, listen, there's coming a time where not one stone's going to be left upon another. You're so worried about buildings. You're so worried about beautification that you've missed the heartbeat of what it is that God is trying to communicate to you. It's not about what man's hands can build. It's about what God presents to us, which is a place of encounter, a place of abiding. Thus, Jesus, when he went into the temple, he says, you've made my house a house of merchandise, but my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. We're living out in prophetic times, and you know the only one who's going to maintain their position is the one who's found the secret place. The only one who found the secret place. A canopy suspended, a tallit, literally over suspended this couple, representing the fact that Christ is to be married, to be joined together with his church and marriage covenant. That in that humility, there's intimacy. In the intimacy, we maintain the possession of majesty that always we see over us. There's a banner and there's a covering. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 4. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Isaiah chapter 4 and reading from verse 1. Isaiah just gives some very stern and strict warnings to the people of Israel. They had lost their position. They had lost their way. They had taken on a prideful, arrogant attitude. They had adopted the practices of the customs of the world around them. They had become more about show than they had about heart. God's not interested in outward expressions. He's not interested in our pretty buildings and our, and our great methods. He's interested in a heart that yearns to desires to want to know him intimately. This is the one thing that gets the attraction and the attention of God. It's a pure heart. The apostle Paul said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ who understands and maintains that singleness of vision, the simplicity, which is Jesus Christ alone. Is he the full attraction? Or have we provided other attractions? Have we beautified things to make them appealing to the human eye and we've lost the heartbeat of God? We're living in prophetic times. You know the ones that are going to maintain through all the things and the craziness that's going on within our world? It's not those who put on a good show who speak eloquent words. It's those who have a heart that beats for God. In Isaiah 4, the prophet speaks to us in verse 1 in that day. And this is the day of, 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 of famine and and a day when, when there's destruction, a day when, when things are transpiring that are unprecedented within their culture, things that are shaking everything around them, times of invasion of enemies and times where, where, where just aggression has been extended towards people. And he says, in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own food and we'll wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name that, we, that you would take away our reproach. Verse 2 says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. The branch of the Lord, a, a prophetic picture, of course, that one shall spring forth from, from the lineage of David. This is a prophetic picture of the Messiah, the Christ. A branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. See the ones that are going to maintain, the ones who are still going to be standing after all hostility has been extended. It's those who have been called holy, those who have been set apart by God. They're the ones that are going to endure. Verse 4 says, When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies. You see that word above? Where are we called in hupo? Beneath. And it says that God's going to create a covering. God's going to create a dwelling. God's going to create a place that he's inviting us into and it's going to be a place of glory. Amen? He says it's going to rise up the dwelling place above her assemblies. It says it's going to be a cloud and smoke by day and a shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory, there will be a covering. And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from the storm and from the rain. I was looking at these things, and I was, I was just digging into the word of God, and I couldn't help but see the symbolism that was being painted here. Jesus giving these great words in Matthew 24, preparing his disciples for the end times. And as it were, he was inviting them into a place which he had invited them before was to know the Father in such an intimate way, to maintain that position of understanding God is God and is to be glorified in everything that 
He does. And, and all of my life is to be directed towards him, that my view should not be skewed and pulled in multiple different directions. He has to be my one desire. And when he says that, his righteousness is imputed or imparted into us, and we become the very children of God. We become the very bride of Christ. We become pure and an object of great affection on God's part. You think any object of great affection by God is going to be easily snatched from his hand? And he says here through the prophet that God's literally going to set himself up as a covering over his people. This is many years after what God had done with the children of Israel through the wilderness. And we know that God was preparing for himself a special possession. We talked about this weeks ago. They were to be a special possession, a people that God bore on eagle's wings. All the symbolism there. This is God's desire for his people. And here Isaiah reiterates this promise. It's still there. That God wants to be a covering for his people that is like a cloud during the day which protects them from the burning heat and a pillar or a cloud of fire, a shelter, a, a covering of fire at night that they would never be caught off guard by all that's false. A burning fire and a covering. In fact, he calls it a glory covering. And the word covering there in verse 5, the end of verse 5, is the word hoopah. Hoopah. See that? It's the same word, hoopah. And I, and I encourage you, do some word studies. You can actually do it right there on your phone. We have access to all types of technology to be able to do these things, verify these things, go to a Strong's Concordance and verify that these things are so. It's important that you be a student of the Word of God. I don't want to presume anything, and my desire is that I always have a proper exegesis of the Word of God, that I'm not just interpreting things that sound good, but really getting to the heart of what it is that God wants to communicate to us in prophetic times. We're living in prophetic times. Listen, and there's a covering that God's provided for us. He's inviting us into an intimate relationship with His very Son, and that there is going to be great protection in that place. Amen? You see that? Isn't that good news? A glory covering. How would you like a glory covering? In the English, you can't see it, but in the Hebrew, the words are used side by side. Or as we were saying in northern Rhode Island, Wasaka side by each. Side by side, glory covering. God's going to provide a flaming fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day. And they're going to be a glory covering, a glory covering for his people. This is in the midst of all that's going on within the world in craziness in that world at that time. Isaiah was preparing them for great judgment that was going to take place both through the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Great destruction was going to take place in Israel. Yet God had always had a secret place for his people. You know why the remnant's going to be saved? Because they've learned the secret of the secret place. You know the ones who are going to maintain their position are the ones that actually have an intimate relationship with God who know what it is to no longer put on the show as everything's okay, but know the secret place where the nitty-gritty gets down to and you can shed some tears before God and you can confess to God the fact that, Lord, I don't even know why you love me the way you love me. Because I don't measure up, but God's working a work. Amen? Later on in Isaiah 55, we, we see something. Because in verse 1, it says, seven women are going to take hold of one man. And they're going to say to that one man, we'll eat our own bread, we'll wear our own apparel, but let us be called by your name because we need our reproach to be taken away. I believe we're living in a world right now that many are living in reproach. That word reproach is dealing with the issue. These particular women, they were unwed and they were childless. In other words, they were barren. They were barren. And this was a great deal because in that culture, childbearing was such an important part. Do you remember the, 
the, the, the symbolism of the hoopah and Jewish traditional wedding, that they believe it's like the tent of Abraham and Sarah, amen, where there's open sides on all four sides, representing, I believe, more than just hospitality, but the blessing, the favor of God, the promise of God, the covenantal promise of God, that God will do what God said God will do. When you can get into the place alone with God and actually hear his voice and discern it from every other voice, even those who come in the name of Christ, he says many will arise in that day calling themselves Christ. Say, he's there and he's there and he's there. And it's not the voice of Christ. They've come. They're false Christ. They're false apostles. They're false teachers. And they're sucking you in to build up your flesh. But God is calling you to the heartbeat of getting into the secret place where you can actually discern his voice and hear that nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is too difficult for God. It might seem impossible. It says of Abraham, his body was as good as dead in terms of childbearing. It was over. But God said, no, come on in to my plan and my promise where there are no boundaries or limitations. God is calling us in. And many will come and they'll say, just deliver me from this barrenness. And many are feeling that in their spiritual life. I feel a barrenness. Like there's nothing out of my life that's coming that is reflective or representative of a supernatural God. You find yourself in the place this morning. Seven women will take hold of one man. Let us be brought away from our reproach. Of course, at this time in Israel, the enemy had come in, destroyed. Many of the males had been killed, and the women are just looking for some way for their reproach to be taken away. Their identity was found in their offspring, and their identity had been destroyed. And they're saying, just help us to have some type of identity. It was a picture of Christ, actually. There'd be one husband. There'd be Christ. It was a messianic promise that Christ would come. And it's interesting that the women are saying, listen, we're not even coming with any expectation. We'll do everything we got to do. We just need our reproach taken away. But we'll see later on in chapter 55 of Isaiah, there's an invitation that says, ho, all you who thirst, come and drink freely. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Eat in abundance. Let your soul be satisfied with abundance. It's an invitation. Listen, you don't need to worry about wearing your own clothes or eating your own food. Because if you would come to Christ in sincerity, he would take your reproach away. What you sensed in your lack of any producing of anything that represents divine life or purpose or meaning, that idea of barrenness brings right us back to that, what we talked about several weeks ago in Ecclesiastes, Solomon whole thing with vanity of vanities, frustration, chasing after the wind, fruitlessness of all my labor, all my working, and all my ambition. It's all worth nothing. All I feel is vanity and reproach. And Isaiah actually gives us a prophetic word, says, you know the one who can heal that? It's an intimate relationship with the Messiah, with Jesus, who's inviting us to come to the table. You don't need to bring nothing. He's the one who has the all resource. The apostle Paul said, listen, this is where my righteousness comes from. And this has become my soul's search and desire. And I want you to have what I have because it's free. These super apostles are selling it off as something that needs to be purchased but Christ has brought it for free. Grace is a free gift. It's a free gift. And it's for whosoever will come. It's an invitation to the divine, to the divine life, to the supernatural, to the miraculous, the place where God doesn't have boundaries, how he can work, how he can operate. Some people say it's too far, it's too late. Well, Abraham could have said that, but God said it's never too late if you would trust me. You're never too far gone. You're never dead when God is in the situation because God is the one who taught us not to trust in ourselves, but rather trust in God who raises the dead. Amen? And then Isaiah 61 and 3, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 
For behold, darkness is going to cover the whole earth. And deep darkness is going to cover the people. In other words, there's going to be delusion. There's going to be darkness. There's going to be a lack of being able to see. But it says, but the Lord will arise. And we can see this whole picture of the tallit. We can see this whole picture of God's wings. We can see this whole picture of God arising. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. In other words, the glory that has been placed over you is going to actually be reflected in you. The glory of God's new covenant in Christ. And the Gentiles are going to come to your light. And our kings are going to come to the brightness of your rising. I want to just encourage you this morning that there's a glory that God wants us to operate in. And it's an invitation that's taking place right now in the quiet place when it seems like everything is quiet and not much is going on. God's saying, let's come on alone into the secret chamber. Come a little closer and hear what it is that I want to share with you because you've heard too many voices in your life and you've defined your life based upon the voices and you're yet to hear what it is that I have to speak about you because I love you with a love that is intense. And I desire that you would be married to me without other affections, that you would have this simplicity, which is Christ alone. Amen? He wants us to be found in him. Humility, intimacy, and majesty. And finally, in closing, I just want to share a word to my wife. Because your tent will be like the tent of Abraham and Sarah. Open sides, no boundaries. The promise brought to Abraham, I'll make you a father of many nations. Count the stars in the sky, see if you can count them. Count the grains of sand on the seashore, see if you can count them. He says, so shall your descendants be. See the promise of God, it never fails, it never ends. What God is working in you right now has consequence for generations that shall follow. It's time for you to get in that place where God is aligning you with his purpose. See, it doesn't just stop with you. It carries to your seed and your seed seed and your seed seed seed. This is something that keeps on going till the end of all the earth has heard the gospel of this kingdom. There's a dynamic and there's a power that needs to be manifested now in God's people. He wants us to come underneath, as it were, the glory covering so that we could be reflective of that glory in our lives in the world right now so that the gospel of the kingdom could be preached not some religious paraphernalia, not some religious structure. Listen, those things are all going to come tumbling and falling down. It's now that the God is calling his people into the secret place so that we can be the living sanctuary, that we can be the living people, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the chosen ones of God to reflect his glory in the world around us, that there's nothing too difficult for God and he will work supernaturally through his people. Take away our reproach. In Genesis 30, 22 through 24, it says God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and he opened her womb and she conceived and she bore a son and God and she said God has taken away my reproach so she called his name Joseph and said the Lord shall add to me another son you might be in a place right now you feel barren and you feel reproach and God says it's time for you to move towards the one who takes away barrenness and reproach. It's time for you to stop letting your emotions and your feelings dictate what you believe about God. It's time for you to be able to get into that place of hupomeno. It's time for you to get into that place where you can endure everything that comes your way because you found that your strength that you're resting is not your own. It's the strength that comes from God. The, this covering that's over you is representative of the fact that, listen, everything that transpires in my life is a gift that comes 
from God. Everything has to be brought back to God because he's the one who's going to receive all the glory because everything that transpires in my life is an act of God's divine grace and power. I'm going to close this morning. I just want to encourage you. Listen, some of you have been around a long time and God's inviting you into a secret place. He's inviting you to a quiet place. Some of you never even, some of the stuff I'm talking about is completely new and foreign to you. He's inviting you in to the secret place. He's inviting you into that place where he actually speaks to you words that are affirmative because they're truth and they speak to you on a level that sometimes your own mind can't even believe. How could God love you with such love? But he does. God loves you so much it says that he sent his son for you. God was not willing that you should perish in your sin or be lost in your reproach or die in your barrenness. But Christ has come that you might actually be a product of good fruit bearing, which is the result of his Holy Spirit inside of you. Now's your moment. Here's your opportunity. All you got to say is this. Father, I believe that you sent your son for me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, being Jesus, will not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through his son might be saved. Might be saved. Gross darkness is all over the world. It says darkness has covered the peoples, but the Lord's going to rise up and shine over you. Now is your moment. Now is your opportunity. The tent is open, and he's beckoning you. Come on in. Not on your terms, but his. Humble yourself in the presence of God, and he will lift you up. Would you pray a prayer with me this morning? Lord God, I want to submit my ways to you. Lord, all my thoughts, aspirations, and dreams, Lord, I lay them down at your feet. Lord, I also come with a lot of baggage, Lord God, that's hindered me, held me back, Lord God, and caused me to live in shame and reproach at this moment, Lord. I just roll it all over, and I lay it at your feet. Lord, I want to take on the reality of your nature, which you've promised that you would give to me through belief in your Son. You said whoever believes and calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Lord. At this moment, I cry out to you, Lord. I don't want the secret place, the place of intimacy to be a foreign thing. Lord, I want it to be my every day secret place. This is the thing that I yearn to desire for, Lord, to really know you, God. Not just to know that you exist somewhere, God, but I want to know you. I want to know you and I want to be with you. Maybe that's your cry this morning. Let it be the cry of all God's people. I want to know, Lord, I want to know you. And I'm telling you something, God's getting ready to do something. And as time, as we begin to move into that place, listen, there's a glory covering coming. It's a glory covering. And you will endure. And this is the gospel that's going to be preached at this time. It's not this, all these structures we set up. They're coming down. Jesus said, one stone upon another, not going to be left. There's something deeper. There's something greater. God is speaking something. And now's the time to move in. I encourage you, move in. Move towards him. Humble yourself in the presence of God. And let the cry of your heart be, Lord, I just want to know you. May the Lord bless you this morning. I, again, appreciate your patience. And I believe the Lord's got something special for you. Don't let it pass you by. It's an invitation. I don't measure up. Of course you don't. Come. You have no money. Buy, eat, and satisfy yourself in abundance. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you great peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.